Screw it, screw it. We're just, just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hello, and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. This is the podcast where Will and I talk about Spider-Man. That's right. Um, and specifically the first 41 issues of Spider-Man that came out, including annuals and special issues, uh, written by Stan Lee and drawn by Steve Ditko. The original creators. The original creators. This is it. This is the. This is where it all starts. Yep. So with the, all the uh, attention that Spider-Man's getting lately with uh, the movies and really just always because he's always been such a popular hero, we, we wanted to dive back into where he was first created and all of his themes and everything were established. That's right. He's more popular now maybe than ever. I, uh, well, we're recording this the day after Halloween. Yeah. And so I saw like a dozen easel, easy Spider-Mans yesterday. Easily a dozen Spider-Man. I wonder about Steve Ditko. Like he's still alive. He has a studio in New York City um, uh, in Hell's Kitchen, home of Daredevil, which he had nothing to do with. And, um, you know, I wonder what it's like for him. Like he must just see kids dressed as Spider-Man still, you know, 50 years after he designed this costume. I mean, that's uh, assuming he leaves his apartment. I know. I don't know what to think about this guy. He might he be might a total reckless. His apartment. He never watches TV. He yeah. might just be like, I bet Spider-Man never caught on. <laughs> as far as I know, nobody knows about Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man, obviously a huge hero. We're going to go over the original issues. Today we're going to go over, this is the second episode, but we're actually doing the very first appearance of Spider-Man today. And that is Amazing Fantasy issue number 15. An incredibly famous comic book because it has the debut of Spider-Man. This is one of the ones that like is one of the most expensive, most sought after issues if you're into collecting and stuff. Yeah. And Marvel at this time, uh, a lot of times their superheroes debuted in different comics. So Spider-Man debuts in Amazing Fantasy. Ant-Man debuted in Tales to Astonish. Uh, Iron Man would eventually debut in uh, Tales of Suspense. Thor and was like, Journey into Mystery. That's right. And I think that's because like uh, they already had these comics and they're just like, well, this issue of Journey into Mystery will have Thor and we'll just put him in every issue and just him instead of like creating a brand new comic. Yeah. And I think maybe they were like nervous if these heroes are even going to work. You know, they have these established horror comics, which are just anthology stories, new stories every issue. And they're like, well, we'll try out this hero for a while. And if he doesn't work, we can just go back to what we were doing. And. I don't fully understand how this works, but I know like that they only could have so many comics coming out. They only had the licenses to print six or seven different comics. And I wonder if that also meant like the newspapers uh, stands that ordered them would be like, we ordered Journey to Mystery, not Thor. So don't give us Thor. Yeah. Who knows? Um, it was a strange time for Marvel. They were still transitioning uh, into uh, superhero comics. Yeah. At this point, they only had the Fantastic Four. They had one issue of Ant-Man, but then he did not recur again till uh, September. Right. And then the Hulk was two issues in. So the Hulk existed at this point. Um, you know who the Hulk is, right, Will? No, I'm not. I'm not familiar. Is he, um, he is he like a monster dude or is he like a wrestler? You don't really need to know. OK. Not important for this podcast. And um, yeah, so amazing. let's talk about Amazing Fantasy a little bit. What was Amazing Fantasy before issue 15, before Spider-Man debut? So the first 14 issues were called Amazing Adult Fantasy. <laughs> uh, and then they dropped Which the word sounds, adult. Which sounds like an erotic comic nowadays. Yeah. Not what Amazing Adult Fantasy sounds like it must be pornographic yeah. stories. But it was like a Twilight Zone, like 
monster sci-fi thing, new stories every issue. Yeah. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Steve Ditko. And based on a note in issue 15 where they talk about dropping the word adult, I think other people saw that title and were like, not for me. I'm a kid. Uh, Yes. Instead of having the opposite reaction of like, ooh, adult fantasy. I want it. Yeah. So if you read older, I think I've read a couple stories in the previous issues of Amazing Fantasy, i.e. I feel like I have adult fantasy, And they're just like, they're cool little sci-fi stories. They have that great Ditko art. The art is amazing. I think the stories are maybe for current times very obvious where it's heading often. Yeah. You see a twist coming from uh, the beginning of the story. Right. Um, That's true in some of the stories in this issue also. That's right. Yeah. I think all the endings are... If not obvious, you know something. There is something that's going to change everything. Like there's a story in this issue that has a real common sci-fi trope, which is like the Martians have invaded Earth and we're seeing a couple who are scared to leave their house because of all the hunting going on. And they look like people, but we find out that they are actually Martians scared that they're going to get caught in the last yeah, panel. Right. He's got four arms. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise looks just like us. I believe that's a classic sci-fi move. Like you think you're from the point of view of the earthlings, but it's from the point of view of the aliens or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think that's very common. We're being invaded by earth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, um, but, you know, but this is, this is the era of late fifties, early sixties is like, you know, sci-fi short story heyday there's like tons of yeah those like those like pulpy covers where like just collections of short stories are out philip k dick is writing short stories ray bradbury is writing short stories twilight zone this is the era of the short twisty genre pulp story i mean i should also say that these stories are six pages long yeah uh there's there's five stories in here two of them are the spider-man origin yeah like a two-part spider-man origin which makes it like 11 pages long. Right. Uh, and the rest are five or six pages. So they're very simple. The fact, yeah. The fact that there's an obvious twist it might also have to do with it's over the moment you start reading it. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's another reason why they wanted to have a regular character because there must just such been a huge demand for just ideas, like just like five stories an issue every month or whatever. Yeah. Spider-Man was created mainly out of laziness, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was much easier to create the most popular character of all time. Judging from all the writing in this issue, Amazing Fantasy 15, uh, I should say, so Kevin found, we're, we're, we're reading a scan of the actual issue. You, usually when I've read Spider-Man's origin, it's just the Spider-Man origin reprinted. What, we, right. lo- what we looked at is the a scan of the entire comic, which is like all the advertisements, the letter pages, the other stories that were in this issue, which I'd actually never read before this particular issue. Yeah, I've never I never read any of these stories before this scanned copy other than the origin. And when you read it, one thing that's interesting is that they're clearly this is the last issue of Amazing Fantasy. Spider-Man's so popular that they immediately give him his own series. Well, they they don't know it's the it, but they don't know this, they, they don't know it's the yeah. last issue, yeah. Yeah, all the writing in this issue is like, well, Spider-Man's going to be the regular character in Amazing Fantasy from now on, so get ready for the next issue, but there never will be another issue. Yeah, and Spider-Man doesn't come back until I'm uh, scanning my documents till March what, when, of the next year. So this is August of 62. Oh, so and Amazing Spider-Man 1 is March. That's a long time. I think, yeah, but I think they're predated a little bit. Like that might have been actually January or something like that. Or, sure, but then this issue also oh, came yeah. out a couple months okay, early. Right, so yeah. It's a pretty long break. So It's a long break, and I think when we get to Amazing Spider-Man 1, we'll talk more about it. it I suspect that some of the stories in the first few issues were probably written 
thinking they'd be an amazing fantasy. And until they got enough letters to convince the publisher to make a Spider-Man title, they just sat on it. Oh, that's interesting. So the first couple issues might have been like, let's jam Spider-Man in this like horror story or whatever. Yeah. And I think we'll get to that. Okay. In the next podcast. But I, it's, I think it explains sort of the um, the er- early issues are like two stories an issue, which fits more with like an anthology comic. Right. And then at some point, very quickly, it becomes like full length stories. I think okay. by Amazing Spider-Man 3, it's one story. Right. Okay. So let's get to the actual story because. Yeah. And th- so for this one, we're going to also, are we going page by page? We're going to do page by page. Yeah, because We're not, we're not going to do that every comic, but this, this one's is- too important. It's also very short. It's only 11 pages. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's so important. It's like, um, I think it totally holds up. Like I, I read it yesterday and I was so excited reading it. I remember being a kid reading it. Um, I've read it many, many times since then. It's very simple. And it's also like weirdly sophisticated. Yep. Um, I mean, the, the writing is a little hammy. But it's sophisticated ideas, uh, and it hits. It's um, it's just a good yarn. I mean, it's like the same way. I'm also like gonna, you, I'm also gonna make fun of some parts. Of course, yeah. Some of it's very dated. Stanley's dialogue is very always hammy and broad. Some of the jokes are real dumb, but which I love because I've they're just familiar to me because there's the Stanley tone. But you can also tell this is a guy. Both he and Didco, we talked last last episode how we got to think of these guys as collaborators. It's not like Stanley wrote a beat by beat script and Didco followed the marching orders. It's very collaborative. So yeah, Stanley explained something to Steve Ditko, and then Steve Ditko, Ditko drew something that related to some or none of that, and then and then Lee does the dialogue. Yeah, and he kind of. Puts a story on top of that. And he'll sometimes use the dialogue to comment on something that the picture isn't even showing necessarily, but that he thought should be part of it or whatever. Right. Um, who, so, but re- regardless of who did what, and I'm just thinking of them as a collaboration, these guys had done tons and tons of stories. They knew their way around your basic yarn. And this is a real good one. I mean, just like when you read a great Stephen King novel and you're like, oh, man, what a good story. This has that feel. A lot of superhero origins are not as good. Like, I, you know, um, a lot of times like the origin of Iron Man has been changed and, and retrofit over the years. Um, some of them like Daredevil see, ha, ha, later on get like kind of retroactively boosted up with more emotion. But this one came out of the box. Perfect, I think. Yeah, and some of them are just there, I think. Some origins are just sort of like, and that's how they got powers. Where this one, it doesn't just give him powers, it gives him... A character. Yeah, you know everything about Spider-Man in this first issue. I think not just a kid in a costume. I think it's crucial that in the first panel, we see Peter Parker. We don't see Spider-Man. It's not like a cold open of the superhero doing something cool, and then we flash back. Um, we learn about Peter Parker first. I just yeah. I just love it so much. I mean, you know, another common and I think fair criticism of superhero movies is they spend too much time on the origin, or they yes. tell the origin too many times. Definitely that's true. And it's true of Spider-Man, like two of the Spider-Man movies spend a long time on his origin and it's lame. But I can understand the temptation because this story is great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if uh, if you're making the first Spider-Man movie ever, you want to tell the origin. It's a great story. So um, let's start with the cover. Um, So despite uh, everything we just said, the cover is not drawn by Steve Ditko. It's drawn by Jack Kirby. And uh, it's got a real, if you're, if you're familiar with Jack Kirby's style, you can totally see it in the face of the, well, it's, so this is a famous shot. This is like Spider-Man is swinging through New York City and he's holding a criminal in his right arm 
and uh, he's sort of outstretched as he's like, it looks like he's about to let go of the web he's holding on to. And he is saying, though the world may mock Peter Parker, the timid teenager, it will soon marvel at the awesome might of Spider-Man. Sounds like a real scary dude, actually. Yeah. Uh, it sounds very confident, very bold. Uh, the villain looks scared. There's people on the building watching. Yeah, he looks kind of a freak, scary creature, really. Yeah. Not at I all mean, like the tone of Spider-Man, really. The costume, I think, is also very – I don't know why the costume works. Oh, yeah, the Spider-Man costume, which, you know, again, everybody knows what it looks like, the red and blue with the web in the armpit sort of thing yeah. and the big white eyes. And web lines all over the red part. Yeah. Uh, it just, it feels so busy and so colorful. It doesn't, the coloring doesn't say Spider-Man, you know, it doesn't say spider. Right. Uh, but it works. Yes, I, I agree. It's a real weird, it's very, you know, most classic superhero costumes are very simple and iconic. You know, you think of Superman just with the S on his chest. Yeah. Um, or like. Batman is the cowl and the bat symbol. Yeah, you can almost draw stick figure versions of them and know what they are. This is like a really complicated one. But I just, you know, Steve Ditko was a great illustrator and he knew good design. This And Ditko did not draw this cover, but he did design the costume. Like That's right. Kirby is drawing Spider-Man based on how Ditko draws him inside. And if you can find the original version of this cover that Ditko drew, it's the same sort of setup. It just looks a little less heroic. Yeah, Ditko drew one, which is like, you're looking straight on Spider-Man sort of swinging into the camera lens, basically, of the viewer. And I think Ditko is, you know, more concerned with a cool, twisty anatomy, which he loves to draw. And I think Stan Lee's comment was, no, he wanted to look more heroic. And so Kirby has drawn here a very simple sort of heroic pose. And it's, it looks cleaner. Like a lot of times Kirby can just do simpler stuff that's real strong and easy to look at. And looks... Uh, weirdly more professional yeah. than the Ditko version. The Ditko version had a little bit of like fanzine to it. Yeah. It maybe, looks maybe. very interesting and cool and I love it. But this one just looks like this looks like it would be right next to Batman and Superman on the spinner rack. Yep. And it's uh, it's one of the iconic covers. Like this is one of those covers that like Marvel will frequently have issues of Spider-Man that are deliberate echoes of this cover because it's like so famous. It's like yeah. the first appearance of Superman has him like lifting up the car. Action yeah. Comics number one and very frequently comics will do homages to that cover. Yeah. Uh, this is another one that like gets copied all the time. Yeah, there's like a handful of first issues that get just everyone wants to draw that same cover over and over again. All right, let's get into it. Great. So page one. Um, what are we looking at, Kev? This is the splash so, page. It's got Spider-Man's name at the top. It's got like a little creepy Spider-Man drawn in the top corner. So I guess we get a little peek at him. Yeah. You know, mostly is about Peter for a while. We get the, He looks real creepy in the corner. The Spider-Man drawing? Yeah. Yeah. His arms are dangling. He looks spider-ish. He looks menacing. Yep. He looks like a monster or a villain or something. Right. Uh, but then the, otherwise, it's just a one big panel. It's a big splash page of poor Peter Parker being mocked by, by all the, the cool kids. Yeah. Like like you observed before we started recording, the world of Spider-Man, everybody in the world is a complete jerk. <laughs> like yeah, nobody every character is, we see, except for his aunt and uncle, are awful. 
Yeah. Uh, I love Stanley, um, uh, Stanley scripting teenage dialogue. You know, yeah. Stanley's in his 40s at this time, and I doubt Stanley ever sounded like a normal person. And uh, his dialogue here is say, gang. I can't even read his dialogue without going into a voice. <laughs> say, you turn, gang. You turn into an old man reading. <laughs> yeah, there's no way to do it except sounding like a vaudevillian comedian. We need one more guy for the dance. How about Peter Parker over there? <laughs> do you want to do the response? <laughs> Are you kidding? That bookworm wouldn't know a cha-cha from a waltz. <laughs> Classic bully talk, yeah. criticizing his dance acumen. Yeah. And then, I mean, uh, I mean bullies are way into the waltz and cha-cha. <laughs> uh, Peter, pa- and then uh, Liz Allen, uh, a girl that we later learn is Liz Allen. Um, Peter Parker, he's Midtown High's only professional wallflower. <laughs> Everyone is laughing and pointing at him. Yeah, they're the meanest people ever. And Peter Parker is there in the corner looking totally forlorn. He's got his vest, his glasses, holding books. Um, so uh, character established, I say. Yeah. And then classic superhero silhouette, his shadow is Spider-Man. Right. The the hero that he will yet become. Yeah, he casts a shadow that is Spider-Man with a giant spider coming down, I guess, to eat him. Yeah, look, it looks like that. That shadow spider means business. All right, yeah. so let's go. So that's the splash page. Let's go to page two. And I love that splash page. Me too. Oh, he, it's and so Peter great. Peter looks so sad and he broken. Does. Uh, he just I, looks like he's miserable. I mean, it's become a cliche, of course, the power fantasy of superheroes. You know, nobody knows what a great person I am inside. You're supposed to relate to him. But uh, it works. There's a reason why this is a cliche story. When you're a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old and you read this story, you uh, relate to it, I think. I mean, it's... And, and at this point, the superheroes are basically DC Comics, which they're all very well-off men. Yeah, it's like Bruce Wayne, a millionaire. Clark Kent, who's an adult uh, reporter. Um, Barry Allen works for the police station. And even Marvel's characters, the Fantastic Four, are fine. Yeah, Johnny Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, is like this popular guy with, like, drives cool cars, whatever. Yeah, Reed Richards uh, is a scientist, but very comfortable and accepted by his peers and drawn like a football player and drawn like a macho man so yeah here here's a guy at this time in superhero comics which is uh looks like the people reading the comics yeah all right let's go to page two great so the action on page two what's happening here kev it's mostly establishing i guess peter's day-to-day life because it starts with him and his uncle ben and aunt may at home doting they're very sweet they're very old they're much older than him they look like they're 150 years old, um, yeah. but they're smiling and they love him and they're doting on him. They're mussing his hair. They're feeding him. Uh, here's a couple of great Stan Lee jokes. Uncle Ben is waking him up in the first panel and Peter's like, gosh, Uncle Ben, you're worse than a room full of alarm clocks, <laughs> which is that a joke? Or I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's a joke. <laughs> it's a weird first thing to say when you wake up. That's one of those things that when I was 10, I would read that and like not even it's like, OK, yeah, he's getting woken up. They're friends. But then when I was like 18 and rereading this issue, I'd be like, Stanley is corny. <laughs> yeah, it's not just in, in a way that it's I not just like in a way that I sleep. You're worse than a room full of alarm clocks. You can't. I don't know. It's crazy. All right. So, yeah, Uncle Ben is uh, talking about how strong Peter is. They're sort of like bumping up his ego a lot. Yep. They love uh, Yep. Aunt May says, I cooked your favorite breakfast, Petey. Wheat cakes. Which, is that a thing? I've never heard of wheat cakes before or after Amazing Fantasy 15. I only hear wheat cakes in Spider-Man comics. Yeah. There's a lot of terms that I only hear in the world of Spider-Man, and wheat cakes is one of them. But, I mean, it's just pancakes, right? I think so. I think just Aunt May was really ahead of the white, the anti-white bread backlash that would happen years <laughs> later. 
Some gluten-free wheat cakes, Petey. <laughs> Free trade single source wheat cakes, Peter Parker. So um, then we see Peter at school and he is the teacher loves him because he's such a good student. We see yep. a pretty girl rejecting him. We see Flash Thompson muscling him aside. Yeah, sho- shoving him back. The girl rejects him hard. Not just like not interested. Yeah. Not my type. Not when dreamboats like Flash Thompson are around, she says. Yeah. The other thing of having an 11-page story is there's no room for subtlety. Not that yeah. Stan Lee would probably want to be subtle anyway, but you got to get right to it. He's hated... His foster parents love him. Yeah. Then the last three panels are Peter trying to reach out by inviting everyone to the science exhibit. Yeah. There's a great new exhibit at the science hall tonight. Would any of you like to go with me? You stick to science. We'll take the chicks, says the guy. (laughs) Then they immediately drive off. Yeah. Stanley doesn't have the most progressive view of women in these these early Marvel comics. Um, It's going to be a while before the women get to be the heroes in Marvel comics. I, I think they eventually write that wrong, but Stanley wasn't the guy to do it. And they have to, like, retroactively make the original female characters not shopping all the time. and Not shopping and just, just like, uh, going after boys. The uh, Wasp spends a lot of time trying on wigs in early issues of the Avengers. And it's uh, <laughs> sad, I guess. Yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't age well. Another thing it's, I, thought I want to point out, though, is, like, so this is his Aunt May and Uncle Ben. They don't ever describe what happened to his parents. But I think when no. you're a kid, you notice that you're like, oh, there's no mom and dad. He's with his aunt and uncle and they're older. Like that's a detail that I think that does land even subconsciously. It's like this kid's really alone. He doesn't even have parents. Yeah. I mean, he's got people who care about him, but you can it it subtly makes him even more outcast. That's one of those little details I think that shows these guys writing these stories have done Dozens and dozens of stories. Like, that's a nice little adjustment that ups the emotional level here. Yeah. I mean, it could have easily just been mom and dad, but it's Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, Paige, because he starts off very happy because he's home. And by the end of the page, he is scowling. He's very angry. Um, and he, and in the last line of the page is, someday I'll show them. Sub. Someday they'll be sorry. Sorry that they laughed at me. That's angry. Yeah. There's a lot of anger in this issue. I always think like a great story for for kids, and I do think of these early superhero stories as kids' stories, even though they they work well for lots of age groups, is like you can't be afraid to put darkness in there. Uh, That's what the world feels like to everybody. And just because you're writing for kids, I don't think means you should soften the emotions. Peter Parker is angry. And I remember being a kid and you're, you're angry at the world to some degree, you know, like you feel misunderstood. Um, Yeah. And Parker shows it. Yeah. And it makes sense. The more we read of this and how mean everyone else is around him. I mean, you'd be angry too. It's justified. Like a lot of like vigilante stories like Batman or vigilante movies like Dirty Harry. Part of the story always has to be showing how corrupt the world is to justify the presence of a vigilante. Like Batman is not a good guy if the justice system works. But if the justice system is not working and it's failing, then Batman is necessary. If the, you know, the first Dirty Harry movie, a lot of the dialogue is the cops being like, we want to prosecute these guys, but they have too many rights <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so it's justified that, you know, Clint Eastwood's cop is insane or whatever. Yeah. And for emotionally, for Peter Parker's anger to be justified, we got to see him being bullied. And in two pages, we've seen a ton of that. Yeah. All right. Page three. Next page. Next page. 
So we're at the exhibit. This is where he gets his powers. So we're three pages in. He gets powers by the end of this page. I love it. A lot of captions in this page. Yep. Uh, But I want to, even before we get to the spider bite, the sixth panel is where Peter has been bitten by the spider. spider So he's leaving leaving the exhibit because he's woozy, i.e. being transformed into a superhero. Yeah. And the scientists insult him. Yeah. (laughs) Looks as though our experiment unnerved young Parker. Too bad. He must have a weak stomach. (laughs) (laughs) They should be encouraging him. This this student came after hours to watch their dumb exhibit. He's the only child there. Also, are they just shooting radiation through the air in front of people? Like, that's a dangerous... The experiment is just showing how uh, radiation <laughs> exists, I guess. <laughs> they zap it between two, uh, um, like, uh, anodes or whatever. Yeah. Every Marvel hero pretty much gets gets powers by bathing themselves in, <laughs> in radiation. Yeah. And so what happens is a spider gets caught in that radiation, lands on Peter's hand. No one notices. These are terrible scientists. Yeah. Lands on him, bites him, and then they insult him as he leaves. Yep. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of captions. Like, uh, I think because of that collaboration method, Stan Lee would, you know, the, the pictures would come back from Ditko and Stan Lee would sort of reassert control of the story with captions. But I actually think he was great at it. Like, I think Stan Lee was so good at managing the pace of a story. Um, uh, you know, like, I mean, again, he's holding your hand and walking you through all the emotions of it, but I, I, I love it. Um, yeah, it, they're a little overly wordy, but... Yeah, um, it, it plays. It makes it seem like a momentous moment. Like, for example, in panel four, as he's biting Peter Parker, the caption says about the spider accidentally absorbing a fantastic amount of radioactivity. The dying insect in sudden shock bites the nearest living thing at the split second before life ebbs from its radioactive body. So there's like a little bit of thought there. It's like, oh, why did the spider bite Peter? Well, it's. It's dying, it's in shock, and Peter's the nearest living thing. Yeah. There's just like a little bit of thought to connect the events here. And a lot and yeah. Stanley does that a lot in Marvel Comics where he does a little justifying to get you to the fun stuff quick. It also gets that spider out of the story. It's dead. Yep. Why doesn't it bite more people? Why is this yeah, why thing not still around? Yep. And there's a fantastic amount of radioactivity to justify what we're gonna see in four panels. Yeah. So the end of the thir- at the end of page three, he's already Peter Parker's left the exhibit and he's demonstrating superpowers, right? Yeah. And he's trying to figure out what, he, what what's going on. He goes, uh, "What's happening to me? I feel different, as though my entire body is charged with some sort of fantastic energy." Yeah. So he's, he's very aware of what's happening. He's picking up pretty fast on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, also, that panel. This is the bottom of page three with that thing you just read. Parker's looking at his hands to try to figure out like what he's doing. And it's one of the many Ditko hands panels that we see where the hands are overly, overly articulated and they seem a little big to me because Ditko loves drawn hands. <laughs> yeah, looks great. It looks, it looks great. When I was a creepy. kid, I, yeah, that was definitely part of the atmosphere of early Spider-Man comics was everything looked a little creepy and weird in a great way. Uh, then he's almost hit by a car in the last panel and he leaps uh, out of the way with uh, not as high as I remembered him leaping, but further than a child should be able to leap. Well, I mean, you're, I'm looking at him. He looks like he's jumping almost six feet high, which is yeah. pretty good from a standing still thing. I pictured it like three stories. Yeah. I think in like... 
TV cartoons, they would do it that way. Yeah, he would leap really far. When they adapt this story. But I also love the car almost hits him, and then we hear the driver saying, that was one egghead who won't daydream anymore when he crosses the street. You can say that again. Like, they're glad they almost hit him. Yeah, everyone is so mean. These people racing through the street, instead of slowing down and honking at him, they try to run him over. Yeah, there's a just a world of bullies. Yeah, and they feel justified in their decision to run him over. Yeah, they thought he should have died. Um, so let's go to page, what are we on, four? Yeah. Two, three, yeah, four. So Peter has jumped out of the way of the car, and he's sticking to a wall and just naturally starts climbing it. You know, yeah. why not? First thing you would do. He climbs up the wall... Uh, as easily as a spider. Yep. He's got shoes on. We don't worry about that. Somehow he can still stick to the wall. Yep. Um, we cut away to a little kid and his mom, and the kid has spotted Peter, and the kid says, Mommy, look at the man walking up the side of the building. The mom says, That's the last horror movie I take you to, young man. Classic. Uh, Classic superhero trope. The kid sees the hero, but the parent doesn't. Yep. Fits in yep. well with aiming the story at kids. You know, parents are idiots. Yeah. And he gets to the top of the building, and he grabs a pipe to pull himself up, and he crushes it instantly. What's this? I crushed the steel pipe as though it were paper. Um, so we've now established that he can jump high, walk up buildings, and he's super strong. Yep. I also want to say this uh, little drawing of Parker crushing the steel pipe. Um, Ditko's drawings of New York City, like cool brick buildings and water towers and pipes and flagpoles, dominated my perception of what New York City looked like. And when I eventually lived there, uh, I would always look up and spot the water towers and the pipes and think about Spider-Man comics. Yeah, water towers make me think of Spider-Man for sure. I think there's only really one story where it's a big part of the story, but I feel like they're on rooftops constantly in the drawings. Yeah. So here we are on page four. Parker has very quickly figured out what's going on. After he crushes the pipe, he he gets the whole situation. It's the spider. It has to be somehow. In some miraculous way, his bite transferred his power over to me. Yeah, he's got to <laughs> quickly figures that he knows what's going on. I can walk down this cable as effortlessly as the spider itself can guide along its web. And we see him like walking down like I guess like a telephone wire or something. Yeah. Um, and he looks pretty creepy. He looks spider-like as he does it. Now that it's fast, um, but it does remind me of like sci-fi short stories. Like if you read Philip K. Dick's short stories, things evolve quickly. Like people realize what's happening right away. It's like they want to get you to the idea, you know, or Twilight Zone episodes. Right. Like the weird thing happens and it's just we don't mess all we don't mess around getting to the fun of it. Yeah. Uh you want you want to have you want you want him to have the powers. You want him to know he has the powers, you want him to use the powers. And we're four pages in and we're get we're there. Yeah, it's delivered. Um, it's delivered on its promise. It's really fun. So the bottom of page four is an interesting decision. <laughs> I, well, one thing I like about this is, well, describe the panel first. So the bottom of page four, Parker has, he's gone to a wrestling match um, where they're saying it's $100 to the man who can stay in the ring three minutes with Crusher Hogan. And he thinks that'll be a good chance for him to test his powers. Yeah. What I love about this is Stan Lee added a caption box that says a few minutes later. So right after he gains his powers, he goes to a wrestling match. Yeah. That's right there. Pokes his head in and goes, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, Marvel comics are definitely sort of fun first storytelling. It's like, what would be fun? Then we'll figure out a way to get there. Yeah. 
Um, Why would he ever go to this wrestling match? There's got to be other. I mean, he just did test his powers. He was like running up and down buildings. Like to yeah. me, they're tested. But um, uh, he runs home. He puts on. He says. So we see him at home. He says, "I'll put on some old clothes. Leave my glasses here. What if I fail? I don't want to be a laughing stock. I'll find some way to disguise myself." So we see on, on the beginning of page five. Return to the wrestling match with like a pantyhose nylon or something wrapped around his head i don't even know what it is yeah i mean it looks like webbing but he doesn't have webbing yet so i guess it must be just like stocking over he, his head he rifled into aunt may's hosiery drawer yeah. and like took some pantyhose or something took his elderly aunt's fishnet stockings and fashioned a mask which implies there's a really hot sex life at least at some point between aunt may and uncle yeah. ben maybe this is also another time where the caption box is a few minutes later so he goes home this is all like 10 minutes after he got bit. Yeah. He wasted no time. Yeah. Um, Parker's uh, not that introspective a guy. He uh, he starts acting stuff out right away. So page five, he's at the wrestling match. He's in disguise, and he's going to test out his powers. Crusher Hogan, the wrestler, is a complete jerk, as is everybody in this world. That's right. Well, well, if it ain't a little masked marvel, step up, sucker. Relax, shorty. I'll try to make this as painless as possible. But then Parker, with his superpowers, just throws him around like a rag doll. Leaps him up, leaps over him, picks him up over his shoulder, and climbs up a large pole that goes to the top of the building, I guess, <laughs> that's attached to the ring. Yeah, it's a huge arena that this amateur wrestling match is happening in. Yeah. Uh, Crusher Hogan gives up. Put me down. You win. You win. You're not human. Nobody can do that. Parker, want to bet? Parker is cocky instantly. He's still wearing his nice slacks and his dress shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ditko loves drawing clothes, by the way. this is I, I One of my um, favorite cartoonists is named uh, Jamie Hernandez. And he loves Steve Ditko. And in many interviews, Hernandez will be like, I love looking at Ditko's clothes. Like, he's always very careful about the folds of fabric. It's the kind of thing that only an illustrator would notice about another illustrator. But since I read that interview, I always do notice the clothes in Steve Ditko comics are, like, sort of meticulously drawn. So his nice little slacks have all these folds in them. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I mean, it looks great. Yeah. Um Okay, so Parker's a cocky jerk. He's beat Crusher Hogan. The bottom of page five, there is an incredibly cartoonish-looking agent. Yeah. Cigar, with a cigar. Little mustache. Bow tie. A boater hat. Um, hmm, that masked character may be just what, we've, what I've been looking for, which is like, what have you been looking for that this was the answer? But Yeah. I guess what you're looking for is somebody with amazing abilities. <laughs> I've been looking for a supernatural being. Um, so we cut to after the match. Parker's counting his $100, and the agent has walked up to him and says, listen, friend, this is the top of page six. Are we on now? Yeah. yeah One, six. two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Um, There's numbers on the bottom, Well, uh, Oh, yeah. Um, listen, friend, I'm a TV producer. With that active ears, I can make you a fortune. Keep the mask angle. It's great showmanship. Here's my card. Uh, call me. You'd be a smash on Ed Sullivan's show. Yep. And so then Peter goes home and sews a Spider-Man suit. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. In one night, he creates uh, an incredible mechanical invention, which is... The web shooters. Web shooters and the webbing itself, which is strong enough to hold up a human being and then melt away with no problem. Yeah. Um, and he sews an elaborate costume that looks beautiful. That happens in three panels. Of all the superhero costumes, this one is so complicated. It's the least likely one for him to be able to make. It's something that the movies have always dealt with, which is they always make the first costume that he makes be really kind of ratty and bad. Yeah. Because uh, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. But here in the 11-page, who knows how long we're going to even 
how many issues of yeah. this hero we'll even see. We're not going to waste time on the logistics of stuff like this. As much as I have issues with the uh, Tony Stark Iron Man suit he wears in the current movie, it makes sense that somebody else made him the costume. Yeah. Like, I, I accept that he makes web shooters much easier than I can accept he made a good-looking costume. Um, they, they justify it a little bit. They point out that he is a – they call him a um, science major. Yeah. Uh, like a, a top student. So, you're well, he's like a genius prodigy student, so maybe he can make this stuff better than most people. There's some logic to it. That's right. He's instantly becoming a jerk. His Aunt May and Uncle Ben come in while he's working on this stuff, and they say, you look a little tired, Petey, so we brought you some crackers and milk. And then when they leave, Peter says, crackers and milk, bless him, if they only knew. And he's kind of being a condescending jerk, right? Yeah, he's nice to his Aunt May and Uncle Ben overall, though. Yeah, but there's, there's an air of condescension. Like, there's, sure. just, there's just a meanness in this world. But it's also, it's already building up this secret, right? He doesn't tell them he's Spider-Man. He's sort of proud that he's got this little secret. If they only knew. That's, you know. Yeah. Everything about Spider-Man is like, oh, nobody knows my the truth about me. Because you don't tell anyone. But uh, Bottom of page six, he's testing out the webbing in his room, which actually looks unnaturally big. but um, Very high ceilings. I'm jealous. Uh, all superhero stories require high ceilings at all times. Uh, everybody, All villains work in rooms as big as a warehouse. Um, there's a little like Stanley, Stanley again is thinking through the details a little bit here. One of his balloons says my costume is thin enough to unseen to wear unseen under my street clothes. Uh, I don't know. He's trying to iron out the logistics here in, in a little space. Yeah. Uh, and as you said earlier, he, they use a the science, uh, to justify his web shooters. They yeah. laughed at me for being a bookworm, eh? Well, only a science major could have created a device like this. Uh, yes. And if you're a nerdy kid reading comics, you like him even more. Yeah. If you're a history major, you're out of luck when you get superpowers. <laughs> yeah. If you're a humanities kid, Spider-Man's not your dude. All right. So we move into part two, uh, page seven. That's right. So that would have been one story in Amazing Fantasy, that six-page story. And they covered a lot of ground. They created a... A put upon nerd who now has superpowers and has a career as a uh, TV star. That's right. So we start page seven. He is on TV displaying his abilities in his costume. Yep. One of which I guess is shooting his web at candles. Yep. He's extinguishing candles with his web. Seems like he, a poor use of that power, but. Seems like a letdown after he was climbing walls. Yeah. What else can you do? I can shoot my web at a candle. <laughs> no way. Um, so page eight, he's finished his act. There's a crowd of reporters trying to ask questions. Right. He is. Um, he's already now very angry. He goes, yes. see my agent, boys. I'm busy. Right. No time uh, for fame. Yep. Uh, and then here comes the sort of critical moment of the whole story. He's backstage in the TV studio and a thief is running through the hallway with a cop chasing him, and the cop is saying, stop, thief, stop him. If he makes it to the elevator, he'll get away. And uh, the guy the, gets away, and he gets in the elevator, and he says, uh, lucky that goon in a costume didn't stop me. <laughs> yeah. I don't quite understand what this dude was doing in a TV station. Are TV stations places that people rob a lot? I don't know. But um, yes. Yes, that yes, it is. Yeah, a lot. Uh, I mean, CBS networks, I think they just get robbed every other day. And then the cop is dressing down Spider-Man for not stopping the thief. And Spider-Man's response, sorry, pal, that's your job. I'm through being pushed around by anyone. From now on, I look out for number one. That means me. Yeah. 
So, and this criminal runs right by him, very distinct face, freckles, buck tooth. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, we know where we're going with the stories. This, this thief is going to cause great pain to Spider-Man's life. Yeah. But, um, it's, and even after know, the cop yells at him, Spider-Man just sort of walks off like mid sentence. He walks away from the cop. Cop says, I ought to run you in Spider-Man. Save your breath, buddy. I got things to do. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty bold turn in the story here. Usually you want your heroes to be these. Your DC heroes are always like amazing people, right? Like um, Green Lantern. The right thing yeah, they're like the they're, right thing. they're good cops in their lives. You know, they're like the best citizens around. Uh, Hal Jordan is like right, like the most worthy person to get the Green Lantern ring or whatever. Barry Allen's a good guy, police investigator. You know, um, Bruce Wayne's the closest to like got some darkness to him, but that was even kind of put in later. Like he was just yeah. sort of a good guy, good guy. Here's a here's yeah. Peter Parker, his first issue. He's a, he's a jerk. <laughs> he's as much of a jerk as the people bullying him. He gets powers. His first instinct is just to take care of himself only. Yep. But it's kind of um, – it makes sense, right? Like um, uh, what would yeah. you do if you were suddenly given like abilities? Do you run out and correct the world or do you sort of have a good time? Yeah, and like the world is awful to you. Yeah. So uh, it makes sense. Uh, at home – we cut to home and um, Aunt May and Uncle Ben have bought Peter a microscope uh, and yep. he loves them. He smiles, big smiles all around. Yep. Uh, uh, Peter thinks to himself, they're the only ones who've ever been kind to me. I'll see it too. I'll see to it that they're always happy, but the rest of the world can go hang for all I care. Yep. Um, we cut to page nine and we see that Spider-Man's becoming a hit. Everybody wants to know who he is. Uh, he's, we've already established that he doesn't reveal who he is even to his agent, so let's, nobody let's knows. Let's read some of these headlines on the newspapers. Yeah, front page headlines. Uh, Spider-Man slated for new TV series. Spider-Man wins Showbiz Award. That's the best one, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man plays the packed house. That's that's a front page story for the yeah. viewer. Uh, who is the Spider-Man, says the Daily Voice. I mean, that's a great, that's a good headline. I'm curious. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. I wonder what Showbiz Award he won. <laughs> Who cares? That Once, detail wasn't worth the headline. <laughs> um, and, and uh, I show him doing a bunch of stunts on TV, just climbing webs, climbing walls, and again, shooting a web at something small. Yep. Like webbing someone's hand or something. Uh, yeah, I wonder, what, w what was the action of this television show? Did he just do the same thing every week and people he, wanted to see it? That he would just tune in and watch a guy climb up a wall and shoot his web at a candle. Another great episode of Spider-Man. <laughs> Uh, so halfway through page nine, we get to sort of the climax of the story, which is Peter arrives home and there's a police car in front of his house and the cop delivers uh, the sort of emotional um, tragedy here of, of Peter's life. Uh, bad news, son. Your uncle has been shot, murdered. Uh, and Peter is, you know, completely wrecked and distraught. Uncle Ben. Yeah, he's dead. dead. No, no, it can't dead. be. Yeah, dead uh, out of nowhere. Which who is what shot it would feel him? like, yeah. Yep. Who sh which is this is an incredibly dark turn for a superhero origin. Who did it? Who shot him? It was a burglar. Your uncle surprised him. But don't worry. We've got him trapped. He's in the old Acme warehouse at the waterfront. We'll get him. Your aunt's next door. The neighbors are looking after her. And then but we know what Peter Parker's going to do with all of his abilities. Yep. The only two people who matter to him. He's full of rage. He's changing into his costume. Which is a great and there panel. The p picture of him getting dressed. I love suiting up panels, as you know. It's yes. a great one. This is a great one. He's full of anger. Um, it's kind. Of, it's a really good story turn. 
this guy's had an unbelievable wrong done to him, but there's something he can do about it. Like the, you know, it's, we know how motivated he's going to be to tear this guy apart and we can't wait. Right. I right. mean, like our, our not, guy, sorry, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, and he's not motivated right now by justice. He's motivated by, I'm going to get the guy who took my uncle Ben. Yeah. It's a dark anger. Um, I mean, justifiable. It's his this yep. close family member who has been wrongfully killed. Uh, you know, it's, it reminds me of episodes of the Sopranos when you'd see like Tony Soprano beat the crap out of somebody and you'd be cheering for him, even though he's like a mafia member and like sort of evil. But like sometimes you want your vigilante to like take matters into his own hands. Um, and so here we are. We're waiting to see Spider-Man destroy this guy. Uh, we see him swinging page 10, second to last page of the story. We see him swinging across town. We see him get to this warehouse the cops mentioned. The cops are scared to approach. We hear them say he's he's in there somewhere, but he'll pick us off like flies if we charge him. Um, I doubt that was an intentional metaphor of Spider-Man and flies, but it kind of works nice. The flies yeah. can't get in, but the spider's going to get in. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Spider-Man is already in the building. We don't see him get in the building. He's just there. Yeah. And the burglar is holding people off with his guns, but Spider-Man's behind the burglar. Surprised to see me. Uh, not half a surprise as you're going to be. I mean, like it's just a, you're you're. Uh, I, it's so exciting. I mean, the yeah. the 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 revenge, the kind of this bullied, broken figure. It's kind of like Carrie, you know, like a uh, someone who's been wronged by everybody in the world has this crazy ability to exact vengeance. And you feel his anger. Uh, it's it's not super in the dialogue, but just like you look at these two panels of him leaping over this crook. Well, this is where like he's going to. He's going to murder this, this guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Ditko's art really adds a lot here. It's dark. It's moody. Uh, he inks his own stuff and there's tons of shadows and all the, all the, all the drawings. Spider-Man's um, elbows are always out. Just like giving him just like more creepy angles. Yeah. He looks inhuman and weird. Uh, this is not a heroic person at this juncture. Uh, top of page 11, top of the last page. There's no place on earth where you can hide from me. First, my will will relieve you of my gun. Then my fist will do the rest. Right. He uses his webbing candles ability to web a gun. So <laughs> yep. All that thing is paid off. Yep. Uh, punches the guy out. Yeah. One um, punch. This guy's out. Uh, and then um, Spider-Man sees that this is the thief that he let go by. Right. It's a fugitive who ran past me. The one I didn't stop when I had the chance. This is always a weird, the drawing here of Spider-Man, this is the only time when Ditko draws pupils in the eyes. Yeah. I remember I noticing it. that as a kid. It looks weird. <laughs> I don't like it. It's the one thing I would I would change. I, I wonder if they have changed travel, it. I would reprints. go back in time and remove those eye holes. Yep. Uh, um, and you know, you, we were saying earlier, like a lot of these amazing fantasy stories, you can see the twist coming. I, I don't think I totally saw this twist coming when I first read it, but it, it is the kind of twist that, that uh, happens... It's so obvious now to me that I, I it's hard for me to remember how I felt, but it does feel like, oh, you just see that he doesn't catch criminals. And later on, you'll see that he does catch criminals is what it feels like earlier. Yeah. But it's that criminal, that specific criminal he doesn't catch is very important, which is also why that face was so distinctive. Uh, yes. Um, and it is like, um, it seems like such a unique way to create a hero. It's like you have to care about the world because you're, you, it, it'll hurt you also if you don't if you don't do something about it or whatever, right? And uh, this second to last panel, which is uh, maybe my favorite panel in the issue, 
which yeah. is Peter in costume, but his mask is pulled off and he's crying. My yeah. fault. All my fault. If only I had stopped him when I could have, but I didn't. Now Uncle Ben is dead. I mean, it's a crazy thing to lay on your main character, like the death of your father figure because of you. And there's, it's true. You could have done something and you didn't. I mean, it's an insane, I don't know. It's, I love it. It's so powerful. Um, but what a risky move. And I think the, I think the only reason that they take these risks is here they've been doing issue upon issue of these crazy science fiction stories, which are usually dark and monstrous with like creatures and murders. And like, they often do have tragic ends. These like sci-fi stories, they're often like kind of weird, dark endings, so I think they were kind of geared up to just have a dark ending for their superhero story. Right. And this is following the Hulk, who's sort of a dark character. Like, he's basically a guy who gets hit by a bomb and turns into a monster. Hit by a bomb trying to save somebody. Yeah. And then the thing exists where, like, all his buddies get superpowers, but the thing is stuck looking like a monster. Like, yeah, they've already dealt a little bit with tragedy. This is the darkest they've gone. Yes. Um but it's part of what, I mean, they don't know yet how big Marvel Comics is about to become. Like very quickly, Marvel Comics will take over. And of course, we know these characters become, you know, incredibly popular figures. But at this time, it's just three or four guys in their 40s seeing what they can do this year for their job. You know, they're, yeah. just, they're just trying to make something for like the short term. They're just like, oh, Justice League is doing well. Let's us do our superheroes. But everything is in place now to create like this a way better superhero universe. It's more human. It's more gutsy with its emotions. It's more daring. It's got more creative artistry in the drawings. More relatable. Uh, yep. If you're a kid, this story, you, I mean, I remember this story from the, I remember reading it when I was like eight or nine years old. Uh, it's a, it's a powerful one. It, it reminds me a lot of like reading, you know, the Ray Bradbury collection of the illustrated man. Yeah. Uh, that's a collection of sci-fi stories. I read that when I was a kid. Um, and if you're a nerd kid reader, um, you'll you'll read a collection of short stories. And those sci-fi stories are both like readable and accessible to young kids. But like intense stuff goes down in Ray Bradbury stories. They're like very emotional, like parents die, kids are <laughs> turned into robots or whatever. You know, like there's sad endings in those stories. Um, and... This comic feels very akin to those kind of things. Um, I agree. This second to last panel with Peter crying. I mean, it's crazy how far we've come in 11 pages. The kid who was bullied and wronged has been taught an incredibly harsh lesson. Yeah, his life was already miserable and he gets powers and it's still miserable. But in a weird way, it's like it is also relatable because it's like, hey, look, those kids bullying you. That wasn't a real problem. Here's a real problem. Yeah. You know, maybe... Don't waste your time being angry at those little things. There's bigger fish to fry. Uh, so do you want to read the last panel? It's like one of the most famous captions in all of comics. Sure, yeah. So after crying, it's just a little shot of Spider-Man walking off into the distance, a very tiny image of that, and it's a big caption that says, And a lean, silent figure slowly fades into the gathering darkness, aware at last that in this world, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And so a legend is born and a new name is added to the roster of those who make the world of fantasy the most exciting realm of all. It's one of the rare times where Stan Lee is underselling things given how big things would come. I mean, they've created the most popular hero that Marvel Comics maybe will ever make, uh, certainly for the first 
couple decades of their existence. I mean, no one they've made is as big as Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, someone who will change the superhero world. You're probably number two most iconic superhero after Superman. Um, and I'm only giving Superman the top ranking because he was first. Spider-Man might be more more popular. And Batman might be. But one what, what of the big ones. They, they've It's one of those this, three. This little comics company that's doing these kind of like who cares Marvel uh, horror and monster stories has entered the superhero world in a big way. Yeah. And, um, and this comic gets canceled. <laughs> and so they canceled the comic. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it, I think it totally holds up. Like, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about every issue. Imagine but, if a great new, imagine if like the first episode of lost aired and then they didn't make another episode for seven months. Yeah. Like you see that uh, airplane crash and all these mysteries and all like, we'll continue this. Like I mean, every, that's a good, everyone would lose good, interest. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also just a different time, yeah. you know, like things just happened more slowly. Uh, if you look at television from the early sixties, it's like, there's, they'll film a guy getting into his car and driving down the street for like two minutes or something like with no action. Um, yeah. The Rockford files was mostly driving. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. Whenever I watch those episodes, I'm like, it's mostly him just going places. They, early TV and move early, like early seventies and sixties TV and movies is like fascinated with driving places. I think cars were still a novelty. They're like, look at these things. <laughs> um, uh, but a lot of what we're going to see in all the other issues of Spider-Man, it's already here. The the willing to go to dark places, the emotional relatability, the meanness of the world, the how fast the story moves. I think the only thing we're missing is Peter's kind of joy and jokingness really starts to come out in the next issue. Yeah, his sense of humor is not there. Um, There's more playfulness in Spider-Man that'll come out very, very soon. There wasn't really room for that here. And a little bit, this probably isn't as important as anything else you just said, but the way that being Spider-Man changes who Peter Parker is. Like, he gets a little mm -hmm. bolder in school. He starts, girls start becoming sure. interested in him. Yeah. Like, the mystery of being Spider-Man works for him, but it doesn't necessarily make anything easier or better. Yeah, but it gives him confidence. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He's uh, one of the most powerful creatures on Earth right now. Um, yeah, so that's it. 11 pages. And... Man, what a story. I love it. I, you know, obviously we just went through it like, and we'll never go through the other issues in such detail. But uh, if anybody's listening to this and you've never looked it up yourself, I mean, I find that hard to believe. It's, it's a, yeah, often reprinted story with good reason. But if you haven't, you should look at it. It's just, it's great. When the story gets retold, like when uh, it got retold as Ultimate Spider Man, uh huh, uh, like in a relaunched Marvel Universe thing, mm -hmm. uh, they took six issues to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. That feels uh, like too much, maybe. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it was very popular and a huge success. So, uh, you know, who am I to say that it doesn't work? But I think he doesn't even have powers in that first issue. I think he gets bit at the end of the first issue. And I'm just like, what are you waiting for? Well, I it guess everybody knows. Twice. <laughs> I guess everybody knows the story. So you can, yeah, the anticipation of it is a lot more exciting or something. They want to dwell into the characterization and the conversations and stuff. But I still say it's like. You know, when I watch movies, uh, you know, like when I watched Doctor Strange, which I thought was fine, I was mm -hmm. like, let's get to him being Doctor Strange way quicker. I want, let's let him do stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, you know, they, they did, they did kind of follow the Marvel, the early 60s Marvel formula in Doctor Strange where they work on the human being and his flaws first. Yeah. Like we see him as this cocky jerk doctor. I mean, yeah, I think Doctor Strange was very simple. I think fine is a great way to describe it, but it, it I, I think it's on the good side of fine because 
it, it reminded me of early Marvel comics where it's like just real simple by the numbers moving very, it moves pretty fast actually. Like he goes from injury. Uh, I know what you're saying, but I think Dr. Strange, the movie is a good example of following the formula of the early sixties Marvel comics. I don't know. I want him in that cloak. Early <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> Whenever I see a superhero getting into his costume in an urgent, dramatic way, I think about you, Kevin. I'm like, Kevin Hines likes this sequence. I mean, dressing uh, with uh, uh, <laughs> purpose. Purpose, yeah, is yeah, maybe the coolest thing you can do. I so we should put wrap, these gloves on. We should wrap up. But can we just talk about these other stories real quick? Sure. So there's like two of the five stories were Spider-Man. Yeah. And there's three other stories in this issue, which are just sort of your normal sci-fi story. There's uh, something called the bell ringer about a, a man who loyally rings the bell at a church on, on his Mediterranean Island twice a day. And then a volcano erupts and everybody has to evacuate, but he still rings the bells nobly, even though it means he's going to die. And, a heavenly force takes him into heaven with a beam of light at the end as a reward for his integrity. That's yep. the end of that story. That's that old story. Then there's uh, a guy man, who man in the mummy case. Yeah. This is a guy who like, uh, is running away from police. I assume he robbed a television station and he hides <laughs> yeah. in a museum and there's a mummy there. He says, hide <laughs> in my mummy case, talks him into it. And the mummy case transports him to ancient Egypt where he becomes a slave. Yep. Uh, then the last one, there are Martians among us. Uh, Martians have invaded. Everybody's in the lookout. Then we see this nice suburban couple scared to go outside and we find out it's because they are Martians. Yep. Right. A lot of good so drawings like, in here, but the stories are a little they're, just there. They're sort of like old Tales from the Crypt stories where it's kind of like, what's the twist? What's the grisly part? They're not They're not quite as good as your great Tales from the Crypt stories, but they're of that sort of ilk. Um, and again, I, you know, these are all like, they're mostly tragic endings. Uh, you know, I, I think that part of what made Spider-Man good was the DNA of this comic where there's these dark, twisted endings. Yeah, and these are all drawn by Steve Ditko. Yep. Um, they're all Lee Ditko collaborations. Um uh, but you know what? I'm. I think they made the right move in focusing on the Spider-Man character. Yeah, yeah. The, not the mummy slave guy. Yeah, I don't think we should have followed the mummy slave guy, the guy who's wearing a suit and dress shoes in ancient Egypt, hauling a cement block. Um, all right. Well, um, anything else that we need to go over? Um, no. Uh, so I think, I think we got it. So the next uh, episode of this podcast will be Amazing Spider-Man issue number one. Yeah. And I think those um, so, I think those stories were slated for Amazing Fantasy. I'm gonna yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I'm gonna look at that when I read the when I read the issue. Um, I'm excited to but, see. But they also true. it also comes out over six months later. Yeah. Um well I can't wait. These these next batch of Spider Man issues are so good. Yeah. And there's so many good decisions made and so many weird things that end up getting dropped. I, I can't wait to go over them. Yeah. So it'll be really I'm fun. excited. All right, guys. So um you can hey, uh, follow us on Twitter. Yes. Um, my Twitter handle is Will Hines, W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S. And mine is Kev Hines, K-E-V-H-I-N-E-S. Please uh, tweet at us and let us know. Are you Spider-Man fans? What do you think of Amazing Fantasy 15? Would we, would we screw up? Uh, would we get right? Let us know. Um, and we'll be back next episode where we go over Amazing Spider-Man issue number one. Ooh, it's getting good. Getting good. Kev, you got any plugs? Uh, no. It's a pod, podcast staple to plug things. Yeah, you know? but I don't even know when we're releasing these. So Me neither. I don't know yet either. As I said, we, this is Halloween right now. So yeah. I guess... Uh, I think they're going to come out around Christmas. So I'm going to plug Christmas and Hanukkah and the holiday season. Yeah, maybe we'll do a show in New York around Christmas. Yeah. So look, um, maybe that's happening. <laughs> maybe that's happening. Uh, all right, everybody. Um, see you next episode. 
Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. What's a creative podcast network?